Hello, and welcome back to the Merwomanist podcast with Mommy Melusine. And I want to talk about something a little bit different today. Okay, my hair is really messy, but I'm not going to worry about it. I'm a real woman, um, which maybe is a nice segue. So I am kind of obsessed with Holly and Chloe, <laughs> both of them together as well as individually. Um, I love their music um, together, and I just think they're both incredible. And as we know, of course, Holly Bailey is our hilarious, as Blix calls um, her, our little mermaid. I have been having a lot of thoughts about their careers and the different reception of them and discourse about them. So um, in terms of like social media and the way that people talk about each of them and compare them to one another. And I really haven't felt like it was relevant enough to talk about in this space, even though I feel like I have a very nuanced analysis. Um, but I think that Holly's, the release of Holly's single Angel actually gives me a way into that conversation because Holly is the Little Mermaid. And I think that the single angel is very, very much building upon the kind of image that has been constructed around Holly um, in a way that I makes it appropriate to talk about on this podcast. So first, I'm just going to talk about um, the single itself. Okay, I'll talk about that briefly before I get into what I think is going on in terms of the discourse about the Bailey sisters. Um, so the single released, um, maybe it was last week or a few days ago. It is a, it's called Angel. Um, a lot of people feel that it is probably talking about um, some of the, her kind of persevering and overcoming through the criticism um, and the racism, it's not even really criticism because it wasn't legitimate criti criticism, right? The racism in reaction to her um, performing the part of Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Um, so she has lyrics about, you know, sort of persevering through that and sort of um, embracing a little bit of ego, you know, <laughs> which I think is great. Holly is very much in her kind of... Um, public presentation in her interviews, very sweet, very humble. So I feel like it's actually kind of a talk, talk your shit song. Um, you know, like talking about how beautiful she is, how great she is, how amazing she is, um, but doing it in a way that's very soft <laughs> and pretty, right? There's no like bad bitch discourse, but that's literally is kind of what she's saying, right? She's just not using that language. So I really, really love... Um, the part of the song, I don't know all the lyrics yet. I haven't heard it enough times, but I love the part where she says, I'm a big deal, sick and tired, holding it in, right? Like I'm a big deal and I get to be a big deal and I get to, to you know, be in my ego a bit. However, she does still do this very much within this very soft, pretty kind of way, right? Um, so the visuals are really gorgeous. You have these very soft muted tones of these ivories and these soft blues um, and white. Um, so we, she does a very excellent job, I think, of building on the kind of Disney princess persona um, that she has and the building on and kind of segueing from Ariel, the Little Mermaid, through the references throughout the video and the song to the Little Mermaid, right? It's not super on the nose, but it's there. So she says something about swimming 
and by thoughts, right? So there's a reference to swimming. There is water imagery. The very first scene of the video, we see her sitting in water and then laying down into the water. And it's just really gorgeous. Her body, the, the, the robe she's wearing, everything is draped so gracefully. And it's really kind of, I think, mimicking those kind of Renaissance era um, murals and paintings of like religious figures, right? So there's this very, there's this, even though there's not like literal kind of um, direct references to Christian iconographies, it's still kind of there full of it, um, the video. And I have to mention that it reminded me of Chloe's video for her single Pray It Away, right? Which also had these beautiful dancers, which also had these muted tones and these kind of frothy, um, frothy, soft, muted wardrobe, um, and lots of religious iconography as well. Um, so, you know, I think that it's, it's a very, very smart choice for this to be her first release, um, because it does have this kind of segueing connection to The Little Mermaid, but it's not, and I've noticed this as well in terms of Holly's wardrobe and, um, the way she's dressed throughout the promotional tour is that I see her and her styling team um, evoking the Disney princess without getting trying to get her stuck there, right? So her dress for the Los Angeles premiere was very aerial, but it was also extremely sexy, right? It was way sexier than anything that Ariel wore um, in the actual film. Though I must say, I. I think that um, the gown she wore for the premiere is what that Ariel should have gotten that gown in the film. <laughs> I um, have like more thoughts about the movie since the review that I posted, because at that point I had only seen it once. And now because my child has become obsessed with The Little Mermaid, I've now seen it like 87 times. <laughs> so now that I've seen it 87 times, I do have some thoughts about the wardrobe um, and the styling and feeling like they could have given our girl a little more glamour, but that's besides the point, right? Um, but I really felt like that gown that Holly wore at the premiere looked like something like, you know, the walking out of the water ocean gown that she probably should have gotten in the movie. But that is a tangent. <laughs> um, so what the point that I want to make is I think that Holly and her styling team have did an excellent job of milking the Little Mermaid, right? Of milking the, 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 her iconic performance as Ariel um, and building on it, but also trying to segue her image so that she doesn't get stuck as kind of like a little girl, right? So she's been very, you know, like form-fitting, um, sexy, but still very mermaid, um, you know, still kind of evoking that 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 princess. Um, and I think this video is no different. It, I don't want to say it surprises me, but when most, I feel like often when we have young women who kind of grow up within entertainment, within the music industry, um, it seems like they often kind of go out of their way to sort of push against or refuse that kind of um, construction and, and typecasting of them. And so, and I've seen Holly 
um, not just in her public inner, I don't really watch interviews a lot, but um, with celebrities, like I don't really watch interviews a lot, but I do watch Tea Time. <laughs> um, Holly and Chloe do Ungodly Tea Time. So I do watch that um, where I feel like it's a little bit, you know, I think they're always conscious of the fact that they're public figures, but they do like let loose a little bit more on Tea Time. So I have seen Holly talk about people think she's so innocent and she's not as innocent as people think she is and being a little tired of that um, and not liking the way people talk about her sister, you know, like I've kind of seen her talk about that. So I find it, um, I would have been, um, I don't know. I don't know that I'm surprised because this video is not surprising, but I'm a little surprised that her first single would kind of lean into this sort of image of innocence, right? Like angel, you're an angel. Um, you know, I'm a little surprised, just a little bit, not much, but just a little bit, <laughs> right? Because it just seems like often young, like starlets try to push away from that. But maybe people are also learning their lessons, right? From the way that the public often reacts, right? When starlets try to push away from that, right? Um, so I think the song is beautiful. I, and the more I listen to it, the more it grows on me. The first listen, I wasn't really wild away. I, the visuals in the video elevated it for me. Um, I also want to point out that one of the dancers, because I watched the video and I was like, is that Marcella? Um, one of the dancers is actually, um, well, she's not a little girl anymore. <laughs> she's a grown woman. But one of the dancers I actually know from a dance company that I used to work at, Lula Washington Dance Theater. Um, it's a dance company, but they also have a school for youth. And I, um, one of the dancers is Marcella Lewis, who is a little girl who grew up dancing there um, and danced with my sister. But she's a grown woman now, of course. Like my sister's a grown woman, almost 30. So I need to stop calling them little girls. But it was just really exciting to see someone I knew in a video. Um, so... Let me get back to my point. I really like the song. I think it's really beautiful. Um, I don't think I feel the connection to the song that I am seeing a lot of people talk about. So when I am looking at the comments, I see people talking about, like there was a comment I just read where a woman said, you know, I'm a 57 year old woman and I've gone through so much and this song just like gave me strength and life, you know, how the song inspired her, you know, like that you can keep going, that you're wonderful, you're beautiful as you are, you can keep going. Um, and so those are some of the sentiments I've seen people say. I think that um, I'm not having that kind of personal connection to the song because I identify with that message, but I don't identify with it through, through the figure of an angel. <laughs> right like an angel in particular um and I think it's because one of the things that I feel like I'm dealing with right now and sort of reconciling myself through is um growing and maturing out of respectability politics and purity culture you know like spending my entire life as what people would call a good girl right like I'm definitely a woman who has often been told, I just really like the way you carry yourself, right? Um, who was considered to be like a good girl. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I'm, I'm really feeling the, the, the um, cost of that, <laughs> you know? Like looking back over my 20s and just all of the things I feel like 
I didn't experience or was too afraid to do and all of the ways in which I think this good girl identity, identity, while in some cases may have helped to keep me safe, you know, from some drama, right? Um, particularly sexually and romantically, right? So there may have been ways in which like living out life as a good girl may have shielded me from harm, but there's also a lot of unseen harm that comes from living in that box. You know, there's just a lot of unseen harm. There's a lot of ways in which um, this idea of being a good girl, also the way in which it plays into your boundaries, um, you know, your care for yourself, your access to experiences, um, just your freedom, like your liberation, right? And I'm just in an era in my in my life where I'm really trying to be free and do what I want to do and not let what others think of me or how others might judge me or perceive me stop me from just doing whatever I feel like doing in the moment, wearing whatever I feel like wearing, <laughs> you know, dancing however I want to dance in whatever environment I, I'm in, you know, just being who I want to be. And I think part of what happened also is that I started teaching at the college level at a really young age. I was 24 and I was teaching at an institution with a non-traditional student population. So a lot of people um, coming back to school at older ages. So actually having students who were either around my age or actually older, sometimes far older, um, sometimes having actually a lot of students because it was also an institution that wasn't that far from where I lived. It wasn't far from where a dance company where I was um, dancing with at the time. So actually having a lot of um, like people who I danced with who went to the school basically where I taught, <laughs> right? Like people in my social circle, in my friend group who were friends with my students or family members with my students or knew my students and sometimes were my students. Um, and I think that that playing that role, like having to be an authority figure in that kind of space where even when I went out in public, I was very likely to run into students. I think it aged me. I think I felt pressure to um, dress and behave um, in, in, in certain ways that, you know, I feel like I should have been like having more fun, <laughs> you know, and now I have all this responsibility. I have a child, I have a husband. So yes, I can go out and have fun now, but like I have to get childcare and I have to, you know, plan for it. Um, you know, so the 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 I angel is just not something I connect with. I just I just don't connect with being told you're an angel. I feel like I spent a lot of my life being told I was an, an angel or being compared to an angel or trying to be an angel. And so I don't identify with that anymore. So I think it's a beautiful message for like younger women or for people who have a need to identify with that because maybe that they had an experience very different from mine where they didn't get to occupy that kind of space of goodness and purity um and and so they need it you know but it's it's just it's just not something i need right um so you know so that's why you know I like the song but I think that's why I'm not having kind of the reaction to it that I think a lot of people have and that's not anything a critique of Holly it's just it's just my own experience right my own traumas 
Something else I find interesting, though, in the discourse about the song is the way in which so many comments are comparing Holly to Chloe and doing it in a way that puts Chloe at a disadvantage, right? So like, oh, look, and she did it without showing skin. And I'm like, she shows skin. <laughs> she shows skin. I mean, yeah, she's she's not doing like aggressive dancing. So maybe it doesn't look like there's a lot of skin. I also think that Holly's body shape, her being smaller than her sister, her having like smaller curves, when she does wear things that are revealing, it doesn't have the same, like people don't react to it in the same way. And so this is something I'm very... Um, attentive to because you know I'm someone who has a curvier body and even though I'm a lot larger now like than I was in my 20s and my teens I still always had like I always had a big butt you know I always had big hips a big butt big thighs like I always had those features and even when I was 10 11 12 years old so I could wear the same thing as somebody else who was you know smaller and on me, it would look different. And people would talk about me differently. Like people would say, um, you know, oh, you shouldn't have that on or that I was trying to attract attention or all that kind of. And I think that also played into the way I was sexualized, I think also played into me, you know, being so like performing goodness, right? <laughs> you know, the way that I did and respectability, you know, like being highly conscious of the way in which my body would be kind of be sexualized no matter what I wore and trying to sort of push against that. Um, so I think that's one thing, right? When I look back at Holly and Chloe, Chloe and Holly, I always mix up, I don't what they're called as a duo, but when I look back at some of their performances, um, when they were a duo, Holly often had on the more revealing outfit. Um, so, but no one ever said, you know, she was too revealing. So it, it's just, and you know, if you look at her little posts on Instagram, so her little bikinis and stuff, like she'd be doing it too, you know, but she doesn't get the same kind of discourse, right? So I think some of it is her smaller body and some of it is, you know, choices in terms of performance, right? So Chloe has made different choices in the kind of music that she's made in the way that she performs. Um, and, you know, people feel that she is playing into a popular culture that demands that um, young Black women always be hypersexualized, um, right? And and I get it. I get the, I get it. I get it. Um, but I just am very resistant to this way that we just have to box Black women in and place them in this kind of binary of like good versus bad, pure versus sexual. And I see that happening a lot in the discourse around Chloe and Holly, right? So Holly, you know, like when I see so many people saying in the comments she's so innocent she's so pure she's our princess she's our mermaid she's you know and it's like she's a real she's not even a girl she's a woman she's a real young woman she's a real young woman and I have to say Holly has a longtime boyfriend I would not be surprised I am actually pretty sure that Holly's kind of getting it in more than Chloe is right <laughs> like, 
but anyway, that's besides the point. You know, she's a regular, like every, and, and so, and I see the the policing, right? Like in little clips I've seen of them having fun together as sisters and Holly says a curse word or something. And it's like, oh, don't lower yourself. And oh, you're our princess. And, you know, I just, I just, ah, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the Madonna whore dichotomy of womanhood. And I think it gets even more intense when you're talking about young Black women, because people project upon these young Black women performers their own needs and desires. I think that for a lot of people who have followed their career from the time they were really young girls posting on YouTube and like their albums, I think for they represented an alternative, right? It's like, oh, we've got these kind of quirky, nerdy, um, classically trained singers doing this kind of operatic alternative R&B um, music and it's like it's the it's a different kind of girl than we see uh, we don't see representations of black girlhood like this very often um, particularly not in brown skinned black girls I mean they're not dark skinned but they are brown skinned black girls like they are unambiguously black and a lot of a lot of the black young black women who we've seen you know grow up in shows um in shows and movies and tvs and daya and and some of these different a lot of them are are mixed race or biracial or very light so i think for a lot of us chloe and holly was just this like alternative image of black girlhood that a lot of people felt that they needed so when chloe in her solo career went into a direction that is more common right um the more like you know sexy hyper sec you know people feel hypersexualized um you know pop star you know when she went in that direction a lot of people felt personally betrayed because they felt like they lost um one of the very few examples of a different kind of like black female representation um, and I see a similar discourse now happening around Janelle Monet, right? Like the quirky, um, you know, what sort of, um, oh, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for. Um, you know, the word that starts with A and it's not heavily gendered, androgynous, right? That sort of quirky, androgynous, you know, offbeat, you know, and I always found Janelle sexy, but it was definitely a different kind of sexiness that wasn't as obvious, right? Um, so now that Janelle is in their, you know, pleasure era and like pulling out their titties, you know, there are people who feel personally betrayed. And so I, I get that, but I also think we have to remember that People do not exist to represent us. It's nice to get representation and representation is needed. And I do think that when it comes to the entertainment industry and music, we do need like a wider array and more variety in the kinds of images and representations of femininity that we do get. But what I always try to do is not hold that against a particular artist or performer because they don't choose to give you the representation that you want. I don't really think for an individual artist or performer, that's their responsibility. And one of the reasons why 
I feel that way is because I think that that was some of what informed kind of my um, containment to like this box of being a pure good girl is feeling like I wanted to be a different kind of image of a black girl. I wanted to be a role model. Um, you know, when I was doing pageants and stuff, I was very conscious of how I was perceived because, oh, little girls are looking up to you. And if I felt that pressure as someone who was not famous, <laughs> right? Like was not famous. And this is before social media was what it is now. Um, you know, if I felt that, and I'm just kind of a regular everyday girl who occasionally got to wear a crown on my head because of a pageant. Um, I can only imagine with someone who actually has thousands, millions of people following them and talking about them feels. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I, I just want to have a space for Black women to do what they want to do and be who they want to be and perform the way they want to perform. Um, do I share some of the critiques that people have of Chloe's solo career? Yes. But for me, it's not so much about sexualization or hypersexualization. I, for me, it's about execution. I think that if you're going to do the sexy thing, I just think it has to be executed like really, really well. And sometimes I think that um, Chloe just needs more refinement, a better team around her um, in order to help her really execute her vision, right? Um, and, and I think this is another reason I have such an affection for Chloe though, <laughs> and why she is my favorite Bailey sister, um, even though Holly is the little mermaid and I'm a mermaid, but I think I have such affection for Chloe because I see so much of myself in her. I have had so many people tell me over the years that I do too much and I'm too much. And I actually, even on my, like my student evaluations, typically I usually don't like to read them. Um, you know, I have enough of a relationship with my students that I feel like they'll just tell me, a lot of my students will just tell me if there's something about the class that's not working or that they don't like. And I don't need to subject myself to the um, bullying that often happens when students are asked to do this anonymously. <laughs> um, but since I am getting ready for review, I did finally have to like pull out my evaluation so that I could prepare my file. And most, for the most part, they're really good. I've had students say, you know, I'm the best teacher they ever had, you know, like there were a lot of really heartwarming things. But of course, like the negative things always stick out you know and I mean you hear celebrities talk about it there could be all these positive comments but the couple of negative comments stick out and one of the things that I've been told is that I'm she's almost too passionate she's almost too enthusiastic it's like okay <laughs> you know like you know sometimes it just feels like okay I can like do no right um you know, but I do think there's something to be said as a performer. One of the things that I've been told, you know, as a dancer, when I was dancing and performing regularly, and even when I still take classes now, is that you want to make it a journey, right? Um, one of my dance hall teachers told me this when she had a start a routine with like whining and I was like whining all hard, right? Because I'm always full out and I always go in and I always go hard. And she told us, 
make it a journey, pull people in, start a little slower, right? Like you got to start at a certain point so that it has somewhere to go. You have to have dynamics to make it interesting. So it doesn't look all one note and it doesn't look monotonous. And if there was any advice that I will offer to Chloe, it would be that. Um, I do think that she needs to work on her dynamics in her performance so that there's like a journey through the performance and there's different notes. I also think her rollout was a little bit like chaotic. There were just so many different singles back to back that didn't feel um, connected to one another um, and they weren't all like great. So I think that some of her work that I think is amazing and really deserved more attention, like didn't get talked about, right? So I compare the reception of Angel to Pray It Away, which in terms of the visuals, I felt like was kind of similar. I understand it was a different kind of song, you know, it was like a a toxic relationship song and people say they're tired of that. But I personally identified a lot with that song. You know, I really love that song. Um, and I think sonically, I, I think it's also really interesting. Um, but it just didn't get any attention, right? And so I'm just seeing all this attention that Angel is getting, you know, the, the little channels of the voice teachers who analyze it and all these people doing reaction videos. And I feel like Chloe has put out work when you look at In Pieces or Pray It Away. Like she's also put out some ballads. Um, you know, not all of the songs are these super sexy songs. Um, she's put out some ballads. She's put out some meaningful songs, but it doesn't feel like they've gotten the attention. And I think some of it is because of the handling of her rollout, you know, where they kind of oversaturated, I think, a bit. Um but I also think some of it has nothing to do with that. I think some of it just people have just made up their mind about Chloe. Um, and, and I feel like they've made up their mind about her because of this kind of like version horror <laughs> like type of discourse, right? So I see all these comments under Holly single saying, and she didn't have to sexualize herself and she's being herself and did it. And I, I know that they're throwing shade at Chloe, you know? Um, and so I just, I just don't like it. I don't like it, you know? And I just wanted to talk about it. <laughs> One of the things that I love about Black Mermaid lore, right? So let's bring it back to mermaids. One of the things I love about Black Mermaid lore is that if you look at these goddesses and deities and figures such as Oshuna, Yemeja, Yemoja, and Mamiwata, is that they all are very multidimensional beings. They all have their different dimensions. Um, you know, one of the things that Dr. Henry Drool talked about when I met um, him at the Celebrating Black Mermaids exhibit was that one of Oshun's praises is the knife of honey, right? The knife of honey. So she's sweet, but you can also feel the knife, right? Because she can also be cruel. She could also, you know, be vicious. Don't mess with her. Don't mess with her. Don't mess with her people. Don't mess with her heart, right? Um, and I just love that, that multidimensionality, which is one of the reasons I rather identify as a mermaid than an angel, because when I think mermaid, I think all of these different dimensions 
of femininity existing within one body. One of the things I thought about at the end of The Little Mermaid when, spoiler alert, at the end of the live action film, Ariel kills Ursula instead of Eric killing Ursula. And one of the things I thought about as I watched that, because the Ursula character in the Disney film is nothing like the witch in the fairy tale. The witch in the fairy tale is just kind of a neutral figure. So one of the things I thought about as I watched Ariel kill Ursula, it's like, wow, we've got these two feminine opposites like juxtaposed against each other. Um, and really, if we look at the history of mermaid lore, these opposites did not exist, right? Like this pure, innocent, and this like monstrous feminine, like these opposites didn't exist because these like deific figures of femininity were all of those things put together. And I want us to allow Black women to be that. Okay, so that's it. I had more thoughts, more that I wanted to say, but I'm going to close there. Let Black women be themselves. Don't put them in the box and just enjoy their art.